The single-payer form of health insurance for all Americans. Could this be the year that this long-debated form of medical care coverage some are so passionate about becomes a reality? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Dr. David Himmelstein. Dr. Himmelstein is an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School who practices and teaches primary care internal medicine at the Cambridge Hospital in Cambridge. He is also co-founder of Physicians for a National Health Program and co-authored the group's original single-payer health reform proposal. His research focuses on problems accessing care, administrative waste in the healthcare system, and the advantages of a national health program. He joins us today from his offices in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Dr. David Himmelstein, welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. I've, I've, you and I have talked many times over the years, including uh, some of your colleagues, uh, Dr. Quentin Young and Dr. Steffi Woolhandler. And it's interesting to me that we've reached a point in this country where single-payer health reform has a chance, does it not? I think so. It's, it's at this point pretty clear that the majority of the American people want it. Most doctors want it. Most health economists say that would be the best thing to do. And an increasing number of politicians are finally getting the message as well. We have about 100 co-sponsors of the single-payer bill in the House. And for the first time in a generation, there's been a single-payer bill introduced in the Senate. So we've made real progress, and the press are beginning to pay attention as well. We still have a ways to go because politicians are generally the last people to know about things. How would this work? Because some people get universal care, just sort of a political term, mixed with single-payer. But could you just walk us through how this would work? Well, basically, we'd replace the current tangle of different insurance plans with one plan in each state or region that would be paid for out of taxes and that would pay private doctors and hospitals negotiated fees. Hospitals would get a lump sum budget like a fire department does in this country that would cover virtually all of their operations and eliminate most of the billing and detailed internal cost tracking that they have to do at present and arguing with insurers about each band-aid and aspirin tablet. And doctors would have one billing form that cover everybody and you'd have oh, 10 boxes or so on it to check depending on exactly what you did with the patient. Send all your bills to one office and get paid out of that fund. So we're really talking about simplifying the billing and payment apparatus and giving much more comprehensive coverage to most Americans, covering everyone. This would save a tremendous amount on bureaucratic costs, both at the insurance company level. So uh, at present, our insurance companies are taking about 14 cents of every dollar for their overhead and profits. And we think we ought to be able to cut that down to 1% or 2%. Canada at this point takes only 1% overhead. Our Medicare program is about 2.5-3% overhead. We ought to be able to get down in that range pretty easily. And for doctors and hospitals, you'd save a huge amount on the paperwork we face. In our office, we've got a staff that does nothing but deal with insurance plans. And that's just not true in most nations with simple national health insurance programs. The billing is just much simpler and you don't need the expensive personnel and billing services and uh, all that kind of stuff that we have to have. So we could save a huge amount in doctor's offices, in hospitals, nursing homes, 
just on the paperwork that we're doing now. Now, the opponents of such a plan, they often use the term government run, et cetera, et cetera. Is there, with a single payer, if you say it would set up by region, et cetera, would there be any room for a, a compromise, or maybe this is part of your proposal, could there be an opportunity for a health insurance company to be the entity that does the work in a certain region? Well, I think like Medicare, there might be a private insurer that contracts to do the actual bill paying, cut the checks and so on. But that's actually a simple and straightforward task. And they wouldn't be involved in the kind of activities they're in now with marketing and the giant game of mother may I that doctors and patients are playing every time we want to get permission to do a test and fighting about the bills in the way that we do. So maybe a small role for one insurer in each region, as Blue Cross, for instance, has the contract to administer Medicare payment in my area, but a much smaller role than they're playing now, certainly. Yeah, more of like just a claims processor and so forth. Exactly. That's what they've done, in at least initially, in some parts of Canada. Well, in the way that works, a lot of people don't realize that, that that also sets up a bidding situation. I mean, in that when you are going to process, uh, let's just say you're uh, worked for the railroad for years and years, a lot of people don't understand that that it, Blue Cross plans and others they bid for this business, and the government picks a, a certain bid, and that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, again, we're really talking about a, a minuscule amount of work compared to the expense that we now incur for these insurance plans, and. I mean, it's a subcontract of government and in much the same way that a lab might have the contract to do lab testing in its area, that sort of thing. And the other side also often says like, well, you know, we do this and we do that. We save money because we have the best information systems, et cetera, et cetera. How would, under a single payer approach, how would the sort of the cost controls be set up? Would there be an opportunity for telling people, hey, a generic just works just as well, et cetera? How would that be done? Well, there are several mechanisms for cost control. Probably the most important thing is that you get about $400 billion each year in useless bureaucracy out of the system just by eliminating the insurance company middlemen and simplifying the billing. That's enough to cover all of the uninsured and to upgrade coverage for Americans who now have co-payments deductible. So basically, we could give everybody first-dollar coverage for what we're now spending if we just did away with the extra bureaucracy that's required to have our private insurance companies in the system. But there are other things that would help us to cut costs as well. Second thing maybe is since the National Health Insurance Plan would be the big purchaser of drugs under this system, it could negotiate prices. And at present, Americans are paying about double what Canadians are for drugs. We're we're often buying the same drugs. I mean, Canadians are often buying them from U.S. drug companies, but they get a better deal because they have a national health insurance plan that negotiates for better prices and is able to get better prices. They're not Drug companies aren't taking a loss on drugs they sell in Canada, and they wouldn't take a loss on drugs they sell to a national health insurance program in the U.S., but they'd have to cut it down to some reasonable price level, and that would save us probably several tens of billions of dollars each year. A third thing is that we'd undoubtedly want to rationalize the health planning. So at this point, we've got a, a surplus of high-tech facilities in some regions of the country and a a deficit in others. 
and we need to actually even that out and put the facilities and high-tech machinery where they do the, the most good. So no point in having multiple transplant programs right next to each other in one city as we've had in Boston, several of which may not be doing enough transplants to be good at it. We ought to regionalize that kind of technology. We know that we have an oversupply of many kinds of imaging facilities, and that encourages the overuse of imaging. So we need to rationalize health planning in that way, and the National Health Insurance Program has some levers to do that. We need to be careful to make sure we have enough, but the oversupply at present is really a problem. I think the third thing is that having all the bills in one database for a region allows you to monitor for outlandish practice patterns without being intrusive in the practice of medicine. So you can say, you know, is there a doctor who's billing for $200,000 worth of urinalyses each year? You don't need to go and check each one, but if there's a pattern of billings which is really outlandish, you can pick that up pretty easily and then target investigation for potential fraud without having to hassle every doctor and patient and really make the system unbearable. So that kind of monitoring is much simpler and allows you to pick up some of the fraud. And I guess the fourth thing is some of the outright fraud that we've been seeing from our for-profit providers, we would get out of the system because we would say that for-profit dialysis centers and hospitals really have no place in this kind of system. We know that based on very careful studies over the last quarter century, they provide inferior care at inflated prices. And that's been systematically documented and true time after time after time, higher death rates, higher costs. And by getting for-profit ownership of those facilities out and replacing them with not-for-profit organizations, we could cut costs and improve quality. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host. I'm with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Dr. David Himmelstein. He's a professor at Harvard Medical School and a longtime advocate for the single-payer approach to providing coverage in this country. He's the co-founder of Physicians for a National Health Program, and we're talking about a proposal that does have momentum. It has not often in the past, and we are talking about that approach. And I, I just have to ask you, do you think that the other side would often say that, listen, you're going to get a rationing and you're going to get weights and so forth? They have that in Europe. They have that in Canada. How do you answer that? Is that really true? And also, would it set up a system where in some of these other countries like Europe where you have a government system for everybody and then if you want something else, you can opt out for the private system? Well, we're spending about twice per person what they do in Canada or most of Europe. And if you're going to cut our health spending in half, we'd have to limit access to some expensive things. But if we're willing to spend at twice the level Canadians do, and I think Americans probably are willing to keep spending at present levels, we ought to be able to have terrific health care for everybody without the kind of limits they've had to impose in Canada. There are weights for a few high-tech services in Canada. There really are not much in the way of weights for urgent needs, but for elective surgeries and procedures, yeah, there have been some weights. We ought to be able to to do without those if we spend, as we now do, $4,000 per person more than they spend in Canada. I think what's remarkable is that in Canada and European countries that spend much less 
than we do. They do a remarkably good job given their relatively low levels of spending. So for any amount that you spend, you get more care, more efficient and effective care with a single-payer system than with the current public-private mix that we have. I think the question of, of allowing people to opt out, we'd allow people to buy coverage for things that aren't covered under the public system. So if you wanted plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery, sure, you could buy coverage for that or buy it privately. But like today's Medicare program, we would say that, that you shouldn't be able to buy coverage for something that is covered under the public program. And that's important for a couple of reasons. One is that if you allow a private insurance market that duplicates the public coverage, then there's a, a strong lobby to make the public system inadequate because the only way to, to sell the private insurance or the private care is if the public system really isn't meeting the needs. And that means that the private insurance companies and the private providers there who want to be outside the system have a very strong incentive to undercut the public system, to lobby Congress to underfund it, to make sure that the provision is inadequate. We, we need rich people's political heft to lobby to make sure that the system is well-maintained. So when Mrs. Eaton of Eaton, Eaton's department stores up in Canada has to wait for a CT scan, that's actually a very powerful force to try and increase fundings for CT scanners in that country. And we, we need to make sure that rich people are getting their care in the same system as poorer people in this country in order to capture their political might to keep the system well-funded. So that's actually the principal reason to, to do that. And as I say, in Medicare, that's what we've chosen to do for the elderly, and I think we ought to duplicate it nationally. And do you think something's going to pass this year? Hard to say at this point. I mean, the impulse in Washington at the moment is to do something that really keeps the private insurance companies in the mix, and the problem with that is it makes political sense, but it's economic nonsense. So if you want to expand coverage and keep private insurance going, you have to expand the the cost, and it's very expensive. I think we may get something out of Washington. It's a fluid political situation. We're pretty hopeful. Okay. With that, I'd like to thank Dr. David Himmelstein, who's been our guest from Harvard Medical School, and he's co-founder of the Physicians for a National Health Program which has some momentum this year behind the single-payer approach to covering every American with health insurance. And I'd like to thank him for being our guest. I'm Bruce Jackson with the Chicago Tribune, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening.